and welcome back to Series 2, Episode 9 of the Dorset Grother Podcast. Today, Nick welcomes Steve Holmes, the Head of Marketing at Outpost VFX, to discuss how their team collaborate across time zones, maintaining motivation and togetherness in the current age, along with sharing Outpost's unique challenges in a particularly B2B market. This episode is recorded in partnership with Bournemouth University. They are supporting our Culture and the Future Workplace Month and we have included some questions from students from the BU Business Society at the end of the episode. If you're liking the sound of the episode so far, please do subscribe if you're not already and leave a review. We'd love to hear what you think. If you want to expand your knowledge, there are free online workshops to accompany these podcasts, so visit dorsetgrowthhub.co.uk forward slash podcast to see what's on this month. Enough from me, so let's get into the episode. Hi, Nick Gregory, Dorset Growth Hub, interviewing Steve Holmes of Outpost VFX. Just very briefly, Outpost has got how many employees now, Steve? At the moment, we're we're kind of over over 100 globally. And in Bournemouth, in, in, in particular, there's 40, 50 uh, at the moment, so... So we're talking about one of the largest companies operating in, in the sector in Bournemouth, and I'm sure none of us have ever heard of it. So the purpose of this is to understand really how Output VFX started. When I knew them, they were in a tiny cottage next to Yates in the middle of Bournemouth, but now they've grown and we're going to ask Steve how the journey's gone and what they're achieving and where they are in the global marketplace. So Steve, so how did you come to be involved with Outpost VFX? Well, Nick, it was a bit of a a long and winding road. I was a, um, a BU graduate and ended up uh, falling into a, a publishing career, working for a, actually another local business called uh, Imagine Publishing that was on Richmond Hill at the time. And I got into into kind of video games and entertainment magazine publishing. From there, I, um, I moved across to a magazine called 3D Artists, which I was the editor of for a couple of years. And that introduced me to kind of the world of visual effects. And from there, I'd heard rumor that there was a, a small elite crew of of people making uh, renegades, making uh, visual effects in Bournemouth, which was was quite surprising. I suppose um, it's it's an industry that has its roots in in Soho, and and those remain strong. So I I went to meet with with these chaps, and um, and soon learned that they were were already kind of punching above their weight, even as a team of ten or so in in the cottage, as you've as you've mentioned, in very modest surroundings. And so from there, I, I, I kind of, I'd always had an interest in, in marketing and, and had studied public relations and journalism and, and, and kind of felt like I could help them to tell their story a bit, uh, a bit more as, as they continue to grow. And, and that's kind of led me to here four years later. And so when I first met them in 2014, 15, I think they were looking at um, trying to break into 3D modeling or visual effects for airlines and uh, and now so what does output what's the big reveal what do outpost vfx actually do and what markets are they in and, and and where do they sit in the global market well we deliver quite simply we deliver visual effects for for film and uh, and and tv episodic projects as we like to call them now as due to the kind of rise of streaming so we work globally with Companies that, that listeners may have heard of, like Netflix, Amazon, we work regularly with with Universal Pictures, and what we do is is, is essentially add a add, add a bit of flair to uh, all and sundry's projects, whatever they may be. Everything from the recent Tom Hanks Western News of the World 
to kind of more science fiction TV like uh, like Black Mirror or, or Watchmen. We have a team of of artists and technologists that that use computers to make very pretty pictures that that are then uh, composited into into shot footage that's delivered to us by the studios. And it, I mean, I'm I'm doing everyone a disservice by just describing it like that. Um, my colleagues will kill me, but. Um, that's the the brass tax, I suppose, is that we um, we're there to service the film industry and and use artistry and and creativity to embellish their productions. So, what, is is there something? Is it cheeky? Can I ask any particular things that we might have seen that we wouldn't have known have come out of out of your operation, or is that too secret to tell? <laughs> well, I think I think the most surprising one and and most current at the moment is is probably News of the World, which is as I say the the, the recent Tom Hanks film that was released theatrically in the US, but, you know, and I'm sure we'll come on to this more, there's been a, a few things going on in the world that have, have delayed a lot of theatrical releases. And so Netflix actually um, licensed that, and that was their big release of February, a big Tom Hanks star in Paul Greengrass Western. So we we delivered um, essentially all the visual effects for that for that film um, from our, our little spot on Richmond Hill in Bournemouth, which... When you say it to people, they're often quite surprised that it, that it was done here and not in in Hollywood or or wherever. So you must have some amazing skilled staff. How do you accumulate the kind of staff you need? Are there are other skills available in Bournemouth? Does AUB feed into any of this, or the university? Do you get graduates locally, or or, or do you really search the world for the kind of skilled operators that you obviously need? I think it's a, a healthy mixture of both. Nick, we have great relationships with with AUB and BU that are are fairly long standing we even have kind of uh, many of our our team guest lecture regularly at AUB so we've always been quite on the pulse when it comes to the the best kind of graduate talent coming out of the local area but similarly there are so many different disciplines and skill sets required a recent example would be a a a, a lion we made for a feature film directed by by Michael Winsbottom, where you need experts who can sculpt the beast out of kind of digital clay. You then need people who can build an internal skeleton for it. You need people who can then animate that skeleton to make it move. You then need people to put fur on it that reacts in a physically uh, accurate manner, um, reacts to wind, reacts to movement. And then you need somebody to texture it and put color into it and make it a living, breathing thing on screen. And, and and you can times all those people by a few and you get the kind of impression of a, a, really a, a small version of what you'd need to deliver an asset like that. So we have to go quite far afield. Um, we we regularly recruit people from uh, obviously elsewhere in, in this country, but across Europe. Um, we have a really vibrant European community in the studio in Bournemouth, people from uh, Italy, from Spain, uh, from France, and then we've had people move over from India on a visa um, who are exceptionally talented. We've got our Canadian studios, got people from all over the world. It really is a global business, and so we we have to kind of go where the best showreels are. I suppose is is a lot of it, but certainly for ju- more junior positions like the the, the proximity to AUB and, and BU, I, it's not an accident that we're here. And it has been really great. And we've seen some brilliant graduates come through over the years. Yeah, I mean, we've all caught up I mean, in other industries. Obviously, you've been way ahead of the game because I guess you having a meeting, you've got an office in Canada, you've got an office here, so that a lot of your, and liaising with your tech people would all have been done 
on Zoom or Teams or or whatever. But so that hasn't been a big change during the coronavirus outbreak. You, you've you've continued on with that kind of virtual meetings that we're all catching up with. Would you? You're ahead of the game, I guess. I think so, and I think that that's you know. Um, as you say, it's it's about kind of speaking to the people around the world who are best at what they do so that we can deliver what we need to. But the added challenge of, of being a global business now that's kind of grown very quickly and we've had to learn on the fly how to communicate with our team in Montreal uh, in a way that doesn't slow down production and doesn't exclude anyone from anything important and, and also makes the, the team over there feel very much a part of Outpost and not a an outpost of outpost, um, which is something we like to try and avoid. And, and similarly with with Los Angeles and with our clients as well, that's always been the way we interface because most of our business comes from Los Angeles. Most of the people we deal with day to day to deliver work for are based in Los Angeles. So video calls and video reviews of material where client side visual effects supervisor or producer is on the other end probably in another country or at least up in London, is reviewing footage we're showing them in real time, drawing on it, telling us change that, telling us that's too blue. That's always happened remotely. So for us, the transition into this new new way of working wasn't all that new at all, really. So are there any sort of hints and tips? Because a lot of us, you know, we, we changed our business on the Growth Hub from, from being, you know, meeting rooms and meeting people face-to-face to being totally online. But are there some tips and hints that you can give your listeners as to how best you, because some, some people are still struggling. I find it's hard to get people to really talk on, on a big mm-hmm. Zoom meeting. So are there some platforms that you think are better? Are there some tips that you can give people to help on, on, on using these new methods, which are new to us, but not to you? I think keep meetings short is an important one. And, and, and everybody I've ever worked with in any job I've been in has been bad at this. Meetings are often long and they often don't, come with a clear agenda beforehand and clear actions at the end. Now, that's very generic business advice for anyone, but it's just what I've seen. And we try to keep things very objective. We're a very, I mean, I I always want to lean towards the word hyperactive, but I shouldn't say that really, because that's a bad way to PR what we do. It's more a sense of kind of urgency around what we do and quick fire ideas, very idea-led meetings where we're often we've either got problems to fix right now because we're dealing with very, very high-tech processes. We're dealing with, in terms of the tech team, for example, we're dealing with maths. We're dealing with kind of very deep compute power that that does its own thing and needs to be talked to by someone clever. So we've got all these streams that come that often cross over as well across departments and it can become very confusing. So I think for us, it's about clear communication at all times. And it's about being quite to the point about what we need and how do we get there. Very solutions oriented. So that I think that would be my tip for anyone who's, who is kind of getting used to it at the moment is to, to be very clear about what you want from calls. But then make time. I like to make time th- throughout the week to at least drop in and say hello to someone for five minutes if you can. Perhaps in my case, it's a colleague over in in another country or even a colleague who sat in their in their bedroom currently down the road in Bournemouth just to drop in and say hello and ask how their project's getting on or how they are just to keep that kind of communication intact and i don't i, I don't think people should be afraid to do that and anyone who says they're they're too busy to talk you know i'd hope that people aren't avoiding those kind of those kind of calls but you know 
it's um it's worth making the time to reconnect with those people that maybe you're used to sitting next to for months and months and now are are hidden away somewhere it's definitely true we've, we've had several meetings and people of mental health and, and and are some people really are struggling with them um, with working from home but there are benefits and of course we did have a management meeting yesterday curiously where we were talking about some of us felt that we were freed up by being at home and working from home we managed to evolve a more productive situation and other people really miss the friendship and the and the companionship of working in an office. So is there anything that you do as a company to try and get some togetherness going when you were all in a bit of a disparate situation? Well, what we've always done as, as a rule, really, and it kind of it was born out of being being tiny and in the cottage many years ago, was to do what we call Friday chats, four o'clock on a Friday um, without fail every week. We used to gather everyone in the kind of open plan kitchen in the studio, which became a challenge when we had to grow um, to over at one point we were over 120 in Bournemouth, so um, it became a bit of a squeeze, which is not something we remember now as as being a concept. Squeezing in into onto a sofa with a load of other people, but that is an opportunity to be quite transparent from a management perspective about what's going on during the week. It's an opportunity for for the the technology team to highlight any kind of uh, issues they foresee in the coming week or anything they've fixed that's going to affect the day-to-day of, of everybody listening. Um, it's an opportunity for HR and, and myself in in marketing to talk about anything extracurricular and celebrate success is, is kind of what I, how I describe it. That's what I want from those Friday sessions. And those have continued while we've been remote. They've been I, I, modest is the word I, I used to describe them in that you're kind of quite limited, I suppose, in, in what you can do. And people have been very, very, very busy so we try not to make it too long but it is just a a case of being able to touch base on a Friday without fail at the same time every week and have a bit of a joke again share anything that that we've done that week that needs to be highlighted um, as, as being a success highlight individuals that have done great work and always press people to ask questions which uh as I'm sure you can imagine they're often reticent to do because um people people are often a bit a bit reluctant to to put their hand up but but always kind of trying to maintain that two-way communication that's been really helpful throughout all of this culturally and i think being quite clear about our expectations in terms of the future so you know making it very clear to everyone in town hall meetings that we run quarterly that you know, this is what's happening with the business. It's been a difficult year for all businesses anyway, and we were very honest about that with our team. But also talking about, you know, what's the future? How does the work situation in terms of remote versus the studio, how do we see that working? The answer at the moment is we're flexible and and we're assessing it on a day-by-day basis. And, and keeping that transparent line of communication open has, I think, helped to keep the culture intact to a level that it's not, you know, fallen apart or, or or lost to us. We love having everyone in the studio. And I think this is a kind of a difficult topic that's being broached by all areas of business at the moment. You only have to go on, on LinkedIn now while you're listening to me ramble on and uh, and see that, you know, that there's very much a back and forth at the moment about what happens now. Does work from home become the new normal, to use that touted term, or is a more hybrid approach realistic or does everybody go back? I think at the moment we're we're seeing how things go and, and I guess 
looking at the the individual needs of of our team at the moment as well ensuring that they feel reassured and safe and and happy if they want to come back in the studio they are welcome to be back in the studio and if they would prefer to be at home currently they are entitled to do so we have the technology to support that way of working um, remote desktops and, and all of this that's allowed them to carry on working but there's a real buzz in the studio at the moment in that a, a few more people have, have have reappeared on project teams where they need to be together for whatever reason and you can start to feel a bit of a buzz in the studio again which for me personally and it is a very personal matter as you say ha- has been really nice it's felt nice to get out and about again a little bit do you think that little bit of chemistry, especially in a creative business where you are, that personal interaction in a space does get you a bit more creation or, or, or can you replicate that online? I mean, I, I find real communication using the, the Zoom, which we use, is slightly more stilted. And I, we're all still learning, obviously, but I just think four or five people in a room and collaborative working is something that we'll, I don't ever want to lose personally. And I, I, get, I don't know how you feel about that. I think I'm, I'm very much on the same page as you on that front. For me, as a marketer, it's it's helpful for me. And now I, you know, we might go into this, but I'm a team of one currently, which is is a challenge in itself. But I work very closely with all departments in the business. The heads of many of those are based in Bournemouth and are currently in the studio. So, for me to kind of be able to from a safe distance, yell across the room at a colleague and, and, and ask them what's going on with that or do you need help with this? It's been really nice for me because um, you're right in that creativity does, and I guess, you know, maybe we should be looking at ways to to change this going forward. But for me, creativity does rely on that kind of back and forth between individuals in real time in a room with hand gestures with pacing with looking at the ceiling trying to figure out what to do all those kind of things i'm hideous for tapping on things and spinning on my chair and all these things that i need to do when i'm going through a thought process with someone and i can't do those things when i'm looking at them on on a screen so i see that there's benefits to both i can see that there's benefits to both ways of working for sure Um, but for me personally being there in amongst it is, has been really nice over the, the last few weeks when we've all started to filter back in. This is really illuminating to see how you manage a really complex creative business and have continued to do so throughout the challenges, which no doubt there have been. Uh, and that it, it's the four o'clock getting everyone together, think presumably online now rather than physically, mm-hmm. does work. I think maybe we've come to a sort of a point where it's really helpful to hear what you say and how you're managing. And we haven't really talked about your your marketing role and how, how do you market out post-VFX? Because it's very much a, an under-the-radar kind of operation, isn't it? That's right. I think I always struggle to to describe this to other other colleagues who, you know, who are in marketing in other businesses or, or anything like that, where we, it's obviously B2B. We service a very small, relatively, customer base in that we have, there are a finite amount of big distributors or production companies that that make most of the things you will go to the cinema to watch hopefully next year or later this year and all the things you're watching on Netflix, Amazon or 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 Now TV or wherever else. So they're also often the the decision makers are often very very hidden and very private and don't want to be bothered by anything direct. So, you know, that whole side of of marketing kind of goes out the window a little bit. It's a lot of perception really that, that that drives what you do and then a lot of one-to-one conversations led by our exec producers or our 
uh, CEO Duncan. For me as a marketer, it's about painting uh, a, a picture of what Outpost is, which is a very capable, very creative and fast growing challenger to a, an old market that uh, hasn't hasn't changed very much. And letting the work speak for us in, in a lot of ways as well by producing materials, materials that show off exactly what we've done and what creative challenges we've overcome. We struggle with, as I say, kind of any kind of traditional form of marketing to clients because you can't point anything we do at a precise person all the time. So it becomes a brand challenge. You know, what does Outpost mean to people when they hear about it? We, we're very lucky in that because we are, I suppose, newer than many of our competitors that there is a bit of buzz around who we are and what we've done and and people are often surprised at what we've accomplished and then it's kind of challenging any old misconceptions that you know we are a tiny team by the coast that only has graduates working for it and does commercials which is no bad thing you know that that sounds like a lovely lovely business it's, it's not who we are anymore um so challenging those misconceptions with again kind of publicizing the work we do and projecting the the brand outwards in a, in a way that, that that screams kind of quality is kind of the, the ongoing challenge so you know beyond that we face a challenge of you know, the other half of my job as, as well as facilitating hopefully sales and, and and introducing new people to the business to to bring in projects we want to work on is, is recruitment where we face a talent pool that in my opinion, isn't growing fast enough globally to cope with the the work that's now being done. I mean, Netflix announced yesterday they're spending, um, or the day before, spending $17 billion on content this year. Now, I'd suspect most of those require some kind of visual effects provision. So we have to compete with London. And that, you know, as a region, it's about telling a story about the region and about what life is like here in Bournemouth or in in, in the wider Dorset area compared to being up there now explaining that to some people doesn't get very far because some people are soho is the dream and that's where they want to be i wonder if that attitude may change a little bit um, post pandemic but there's also larger competitors in 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 london who work on phenomenal projects and deliver phenomenal work and i understand people want to be a part of that so for us it's about explaining that what we're doing is not better we never say better we say different and that becomes a huge focus. And we were speaking before uh, before we started recording, Nick, about the kind of ebbs and flows of having to crew up for, for different jobs um, and how unpredictable that can be. And we're in a, a period right now where we have work coming thick and fast because productions have opened up again and and we're having to to very quickly source people for 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 Bournemouth, for Montreal, for for Los Angeles and you face stiff competition from from other businesses. So again, painting a picture of the culture we are striving to create, it's helpful. And and painting a positive picture of the region is important for us as well. So as part of this episode being supported by BU, we have some questions submitted by students from the Bournemouth University Business Society that Steve will answer now. So here's question one. What are the two biggest challenges we face in the future of work and how are you managing to overcome these in advance in your business? So I think for us, it's about reconciling individual needs with those of the team. So that's really in reference to 
remote working and kind of any kind of hybrid uh, setup that, that businesses will pursue going forward. I think there's a lot of people who cope extremely well with remote work and really love it and don't want it to end. And there's a lot of people um, like myself who felt the, the the kind of call of the office uh, quite strongly, particularly in this this most recent lockdown and wanted to go back in. So there's going to be a balancing act to try and make sure we're sensitive to the the needs of the people that want to stay at home while also ensuring that we're making offices as safe as we possibly can and introducing people back into them in a responsible way and also in a way that, that doesn't doesn't shock them after after potentially a year of being quite isolated. So that's one thing. I think the second thing is probably um, for the future, it's about building brands that stand out and, and connect with other people. So that's more of a content matter, I suppose, in that we're certainly finding that traditional methods of, of, of marketing your service to people aren't enough anymore. In our sector, it's even more so because we're we're marketing to kind of the the, the faceless heads of, of large studios sometimes. And, you know, it's very hard to build up a, a persona in your head of what they who they are and what they might what might resonate with them. So for me it's about being more interesting than the competition and having something to say. I think that's really important. And that's a challenge that many businesses are going to have to face up to in the future. And that'll affect the way we work as marketers and that, you know, the 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 focus for certainly in B2B is going to be on, you know, having something to say and building a brand voice that maybe you've not had to in the past. So that's potentially a challenge people will face in the future. Here's question two. How do you ensure new starters and existing team members stay motivated working from home? What's worked well for you during the pandemic? So I want to say it sounds flippant, but the great, the great motivator is always going to be deadlines in, in one respect. Um, we work in, a, in an industry with hundreds of daily deadlines throughout the life cycle of a, a project and particularly a, a long project like a film like news of the world that we worked on over the lockdown over the summer and, and spring last year so that's one thing but certainly from a, a more cultural point of view you know communication has been a big part of that i think feeling connected to each other is a big thing for certainly for our artists and technologists and whomever else working here we have daily calls with project teams their leads and supervisors will run those to catch up on how the project is going how a particular shot is going how a particular technological project is going all of that kind of kept people really connected and motivated because the big thing for us here and it's one of our values is is, is support the, the whole goal with outposts is to make sure that everyone feels like they're supported by everyone else around them. And that, again, is a big motivator because there's almost a collective responsibility to be motivated and to be your best self every day and deliver on what you've kind of promised to deliver. So that was one thing, you know, early in the in the pandemic and certainly through the first lockdown, we were issuing more or less daily communication about how the business was looking. There was a lot of news out there about the the film industry shutting down production shutting down all of this which is obviously going to create a lot of uncertainty amongst the team they're not immune to that we as managers see it more clearly but for them that that news will, will, would have filtered down so for us it was about being very transparent with what the state of the business was and what our plans were for the future how we were going to protect as many jobs as we could and and, and all things like that so communication was a big part of it and thirdly, 
uh, new starter onboarding, making sure that we continue to to do that throughout lockdown and into now where we're in more of a hybrid model already where we've got a few people back in the studio. Our Montreal team is still completely remote and we have a new LA team that are currently remote and we'll be moving into a new space very soon. But it's about remotely onboarding them in a way that makes them feel instantly connected to the company. And I'm sure if you was listening to anyone else from any other sector talking, they, they'd say much the same, that, that that first experience, that first morning where you're on, the, you know, you've, you've started a new job is so important and being remote doesn't change that at all. Here's the last question. What do you think businesses need to do to adapt their culture for the next generation? That's a good question. Lots of things is the short answer for that one. But in my eyes, it's achieving a level of flexibility and balance for for people that is now expected. I think in the past that was rare. It then became benefit-driven and now it is expected that people can be trusted to live a more flexible work life and make more time for themselves outside of work as well where possible so that they are fully switched on, fully motivated and healthy and happy at all times. That's always been a, a principle of ours at Outpost. Balance is another one of our, our core values where we try very hard to protect the team from the worst of, of deadline-based work. We offer paid overtime to people that have to stay late and acknowledge that that happens from time to time, so why not be rewarded for it? We also have our uncapped annual leave uh, system, Lifetime, where around your deadlines and things like that, people can essentially take unlimited holiday if they want to. With a, and that system is built around speaking to the team around you, speaking to your supervisor and leads, gauging what the temperature is and, and whether it's a good time for you to take your two-week trip to, to wherever. And then if it's any longer than two or three weeks, then we set up a, a panel essentially where that individual can come in and kind of pitch their trip, pitch their idea, pitch why they want four weeks off to go to Peru or wherever else so that we can get excited for them, understand their plans and see that it's really of benefit to them personally to go and, and, and do this, this, this longer trip. Or it could be related to family. It could be a wedding, a honeymoon, you know, anything like that really. But long story short, I think that's all in an effort to achieve more of a balance in a stressful industry and put more trust into our team. So that's a big thing, I think, for the future. And I think that will be expected by a younger generation is they are trusted and given more flexibility. I think there'll be more of a focus on on wellness, physical and mental. I think diversity is a real hot potato, I suppose, at the moment where businesses have, have never done enough to address a lack of diversity, whereas now it's coming to sharp focus. It's already too late in many cases, I think. But for the younger generation coming through, it is front and center in their minds. And it is everywhere and they understand it better than we do. So we as businesses need to pursue greater diversity in our teams. I think that starts a lot in, in our sector with education because we're kind of a dirty secret hidden away in the movie business somewhere where we make, we, we kind of make, make things on the side for movies and many people don't understand those roles or what a career in art or technology could be and a career in computer graphics or visual effects could be. I think many parents are frightened of art careers 
if a, a daughter or son went to a parent with a more traditional mindset and said, I'm going to be an artist, they will picture them dressed like Turner and painting pictures. And, and, and that's been considered for the last 20, 30 years at least to be not a viable career. But that's not the case at all. A, that is a viable career. And B, in visual effects, if you're an artist, you are you have the opportunity to travel the world. You'll never be out of work. You'll earn good, a good salary and you'll get your name up in lights on big, big films and TV shows. So there is that level of security and I suppose an element of, of glamour to that that many parents are, are unaware of. And I suppose many children are unaware of as well when they're at school. So we need to address that. That will in turn, I hope, lead towards a more diverse industry. And finally, appreciation of skills. I think when I came out of uni, in 2012, I felt like there was still an element of if you're a media graduate or anything like that, then you're probably soft and don't know what you're doing and it's not a real job and all those kind of things that were floating around the media at the time, particularly the, the tabloid press and some of the broadsheets. So I think we need to, as businesses, appreciate and understand the skills and knowledge of the younger generation coming through and never underestimate them because that happens all the time. Thank you for listening i hope you enjoyed the episode don't forget to head to our website to sign up to the events we have on offer hosted by some of dorset's top business experts 